So what's happening with you? Are you in a sound room right now? Uh, no, this is the control room in my home studio. Oh, I love that. Oh, my God. Don't you love having that the privacy and basically the luxury of having that home studio? Yeah, it's amazing. The only downfall is, is that when you wake up at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning with a song idea. Yeah, that's... It's not always the worst thing, though. <laughs> hey, congratulations on on the new album. I mean, Broken Heart Syndrome. I mean, this this is your fourth album, and and this is really starting to really grip into the public right now. Yeah, we've uh, we've had a good response to it so far. Very fortunate. What is the the access to those people nowadays? I mean, it's I realize that you've got to do things on the social networks and things, but 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 bands are working harder than they've ever worked these days. Yeah, I think the smart bands are. Um, I, I have kind of a love-hate relationship with social media, yeah. um, but I do, I mean, I'm a benefactor of the value of it. If you know how to use it um, intelligently, there's definitely things I need to get better at with it. We definitely need to spend a lot more time uh, paying attention to our Instagram presence, but uh, like YouTube, Facebook, Spotify, those things have been useful tools for us so far putting this album together was it was it a piece by piece project in the way that that people you they would send you their tracks via the the internet or did you guys get to do all of this together in the studio no actually um this is actually a re-record of nice. the record that was put out um on a label back in 2015 um we wanted to re-release it because i had uh, my eye on like sync licensing for TV and film and video games and stuff like that. And just to clear any potential legal issues, I wanted to own the rights to the masters. Yep. So um, we redid the whole record in, in the studio here. Um, and then, so we weren't putting out a duplicate. Um, we changed a lot of the EQ free frequencies, played with some different bass drum and kick drum tones, um, bass guitar tones. And then we also did uh, strip down acoustic versions of the entire record and release it as a double disc. Oh my God. Um, so that uh, came out at uh, right before the world ended uh, in 2020. Um, so all the tour plans that we had had for that pretty much died up once COVID hit. But uh, we spent a lot of time doing live streaming and that's kind of really where we started getting a hold on some of the social media stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, this version of the song Daydream Junkie um, is the radio edit of of the song by the same name on that record. Yeah, yeah. When when you have a song like uh, Daydream Junk- Junkie and, and you and you turn it into a radio version, it, right away I, I have to go back to thinking about Stairway to Heaven, how they, they did not want to do a radio version of that song, and yet radio won't stop playing that song these days. You know, that's a conversation that we had with Tim King, the guy that, that uh, signed us to Pavement. But um, this was not that long, a stairway, but uh, they had a very specific vision for this song. Um, we kind of went into this deal thinking that we're going to be releasing new music right mm-hmm. out of the gate, because um, that's what we're currently doing right now is uh, recording and tracking for the next record. Um, but Tim was very persuasive in saying that he thought that the song Daydream Junkie was very strong and it would do very well and um, just make a few adjustments to to time for, for uh, the purposes of radio. But yeah, I agree with you. I mean, the song was only, I think, like three minutes and 25 seconds to begin with, and they wanted it down to about three. Oh, my God. Man, that, so, that, that right there is TikTok talking. I mean, because you know, <laughs> it's my, oh, my God, everything is so short. Well, and I don't think going forward it's going to continue to be like that, and that was part of the conversation that we had is that if if that's how it's going to be, 
listen to music would be boring if every song followed the same three minute format. But I know that a lot of radio stations that that's kind of what they're looking for. Um, so for this first one, I mean, we got a good team of people working around us. I figured if they believe in it that much, then let's give it to them. Listen to the vocals, guitars, and drums in this song. I mean, this this to me, when I was listening to it, it was like, do it again, do it again. I want to hear it again. Oh, God, do it again, do it again. Because there's a there's a lost art reborn here. Because there's, there's something about this song that says, this is great rock. Thanks. I mean, that's definitely what I am for. That's what we aim for as a band. Um, but as, like, as a producer... I kind of got to wear different hats because I'm the singer and the guitar player mm-hmm. as well. So um, I spend probably more time than I should for, for my mental health, trying to just focus on the relationship from each instrument, bringing something to the song that the other instruments don't. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's very deliberate and intentional. And I think I drive the guys insane with how critiquey I can get about every little thing, but uh, we're all really happy with the end result. Being the producer of, of the music and you sitting inside that, that's that studio. I mean, to me, you, are you cranking it up to 11 when you're in there? Because musicians have this way of listening to sound beyond sound. They can hear things that other people can't. Yeah, I actually, my school of thought on that is I kind of try to mix in a more quiet environment. Um, now, once I get to where I think I'm close to the end of a mix, I'll definitely pump it up then and just see. And then we'll always bounce it to a CD and try it, like, you know, the tried and true test of taking it out to your car stereo or yep, playing it in some yep. different listening environments. But um, recently I bought these uh, Stephen Slate headphones, the VSX, um, basically headphone monitoring systems that you can emulate like some of the most famous recording studios in the world and you can mix in those environments in digital space and it gives amazing results of how realistic it is. So um, I expect going forward that we'll be using a lot more of that. When you go in there to remix the, the music and you add different drum beats and things, do you feel that that older self or that younger self, I should say, uh, talking to your present self? In other words, I always do a thing called Dear Future Reader. In other words, it's like when I find it 10 years from now or if I find it five years from now, I'm they, something was left there. And did you find it when you were doing that? And then and then you had to replace it or you wanted to replace it? Yeah, definitely. Um I mean, in a lot of ways, it was kind of like falling in love with these songs all over again because mm-hmm. I had, although I had a finished product, I also had to some degree a blank slate of where we wanted to go with it. Um, and that's really what spawned the idea to do the acoustic versions of all these songs. Um, one, because every song I'd ever written prior to this album, I always wrote on acoustic first and then knew if I could get a good rock song out of that, once we added big guitars and drums, then it was going to kick ass. Um, this album was different. I wrote... Um, almost exclusively an electric guitar. Um, There's a song on the uh, album called Hangman that I wrote a piano piece for on guitar and then taught myself how to play it on MIDI keyboards because I knew it just needed to be piano there. But um, yeah, I mean, that was a that was a big part of the fun for me of, of doing it like this and then doing the acoustic version stripped down like that. Um, I thought was kind of bold. I don't think a lot of rock bands would have the balls to take some of these songs. Mm-hmm. Um, is as big and loud and heavy as some of them are and then strip them down to just completely transparent acoustic versions of the same songs. Yeah. Being from South Dakota, you don't hear too many bands coming out of South Dakota. No, no. There's uh, not a whole lot of a big rock scene around here. How do do you deal with that when you go to the clubs? Do you you reach out there for Wyoming and and even going to Montana and stuff? Or how how do you find that audience? Yeah, we've done primarily Midwest stuff. Um, We're about... 
three, three and a half hours from bigger markets like Minneapolis and Omaha. Um, Kansas City is a little bit further away. Um, I can't announce what it is yet, but mm-hmm. we have two tours coming up to around the, the uh, year out in November and December with two huge, awesome bands that we love and adore. So um, supposedly this week is when they're going to announce the full lineup, but uh, we've got that going. So we have some, we've got a week in the uh, Southwest part of the country. And then we've got a week um, closing out the, the year at the end of December um, in the upper Midwest. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So part of your merchandise, is it going to be a t-shirt that has that album cover on it? Because I think you could sell a ton of those things. Yeah, it's funny that you said that we're putting together um, a tour bundle right now where we're going to do a a merch package that has a hoodie, Mm. um, a a t-shirt, and then we're going to press like a three-song EP of the single Daydream Junkie that will have the radio edit, the studio edit, and then the acoustic um, version. Um, It'll be like a little... Uh, four panel um, digipack that will open up and have like a, a band photo and then handwritten lyrics in it um, as well as the CD. Um, so yeah, that's definitely something that we're, we're doing behind the scenes right now. Being up there in South Dakota, were you influenced by Canadian music? Cause I I'm from Billings, Montana. So, I mean, I, I was heavily influenced by Canadian music. I, I was, but at the time it was happening. I didn't know that it was Canadian music. <laughs> um, I'm a huge Our Lady Peace fan. Um, so I, I listen to them a lot, but no, we've heard, you know, comparisons to some of that stuff that we weren't necessarily familiar with until we heard it. But um, we strangely do have a lot of Canadian fans that have <laughs> that have caught us at shows throughout the Midwest. And so that always trips me out because there's uh, a handful of them that every time we put out something new, they buy, which is great. But the shipping rates to Canada are completely insane. So <laughs> we don't make any money on those sales, but it's nice just to have something that they, they relate to and that they dig. As producer and as that vocalist in the band, how do you, how do you keep from being Mr. Perfectionist? Because that person's never happy. Um, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am that guy. I am never happy. Um, there's like a running joke uh, with the guys that I've probably thrown away more good takes than most people would have, but I, I just, I don't want to settle for anything. I know if it passes my smell test that people are probably going to like it if they're into this kind of music. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's me. I, I do drive myself crazy with that. No, I, I totally understand that when you, when you, when you put your, uh, your level of love into it, you say, look, if, if I produced it and I, I accept it, then, then it is, it's going to be a great piece of work. Cause I'll do that in radio. People go, man, how, I don't know how you did what you did. And I go, because I did it. I, cause I'm, I don't settle for second best. That's exactly right. Yeah, if you're gonna put your name on it, you gotta you gotta have something. I mean, and that cuts both ways too, because not everybody's gonna like what you do, right? I mean, not everybody's gonna be a fan, and you have to be secure enough in yourself that that doesn't bother you. And and I don't write music per se for the fans or for other people. I write it for for me. The fact that other people relate to it is just frosting on the cake for me. <laughs> Gaining access to get that radio airplay. I mean, the whole PR department of when it comes to getting into that radio station has changed so much. What what are you guys doing in order to get there? Well, the big step that we've got going right now is this deal that we have with Pavement. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like for the first time in, in our musical career, we've got a team of people um, that are not just believing in the band, but working for the band. And in exchange, I mean, we have a lot of work that we're doing all day, too. We're doing concert. I think I got two more uh, press interviews today. We did a couple yesterday. I have four tomorrow. We got several next week. Um, 
we've got shows coming up at the end of the month and then starting next month we've got tour and then uh, we're home for a few weeks and then we finish out the year in December on tour as well. So um, it's, it's multifaceted. Um, obviously social media plays a big part into that. So we try to stay relevant on that. Um, but it's, I liken it to like a literally a snowball going down a hill. I mean, you just keep picking up speed and the ball keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And um, that's kind of the headspace that we're at right now. But um, specifically to your, to your point about just the, the promo, I really feel like the team that we have around us right now is the best that we've ever worked with. Mm-hmm. Now, when you prep for a show, I mean, because I mean, I, I'm, I'm in the entertainment business as well. And it, like, for instance, I've got a, a show tomorrow and I've got one Friday, but it took me last week into this week to prep for it, to make sure that I was mentally ready to make this show come to life. Do you have to go through the same thing? We do, but I, I think my approach to it's a little bit different be, than probably the other guys in the band, just because I, I've spent so much more time with the songs than these guys have. Um, if you look at it from the standpoint of just inception of the song, writing the lyrics, writing the melody, writing the structure, the hooks, all those things. Because mm-hmm. by the time I bring something new to them, I've probably had it into my head for <laughs> weeks. Um I very rarely have ever just like off the cuff been like, Hey, check this riff out. What do you guys think? Um, I try to be a little more structured than that Mm -hmm. because getting back to me being an insane perfectionist, I know that the second I start throwing out like unfinished sentences to them and in in terms of uh, a musical idea that they might fall in love with it. And by the time I get done with it, I've changed it eight times. We're like, wait a minute, I thought we were doing this. I thought we were going to try this. So um, I try to bring really structured ideas to them. Um, in terms of the the stage show, we're really deliberate about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a lot of the shows that we do are with national acts that are quite a bit more prominent than us. And I look at that as a challenge, as our job is we need to be every bit as good as the band coming on after us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd like to think that we do that very well. Um, or we wouldn't keep getting the opportunities that we do. So that's kind of my approach to it. But I, I like the challenge of, of winning people over. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the, the kind of the inner circle band thing that we always say to each other is if, if I can't tell if I got the crowd eating out of my hands by the first chorus, something's really wrong. Oh God. <laughs> like we're, we're sucking. So, um, that's, so that's deliberate the way we plan the show out. Um, even the set list, um but i mean at this stage of the game it's it's like death by a thousand paper cuts because every show that we have whether we're playing for 30 minutes or we're playing for 75 minutes there's songs that everybody wants to play that we we got to cut something somewhere you know so that's always a fun dichotomy to to deal with but um no i mean we're, we're very very deliberate about the live show and just the performance as a whole. One of the things that I that I really love about Daydream Junkie is the fact that it's not over compressed. We, we we live in this generation where everything just seems to be so crushed together. But man, I can really feel this song. Thanks. That was that was deliberate, and and even the amount of compression that's on there, um, as it is, like we toyed with, is this too much? Because mm-hmm. we you, you want everything to breathe and mix. Yes, but. It is a choppy song. I mean, it's on, on this one in particular, I kind of wanted like the drums and the bass to be kind of the the focal point of it, except for the choruses. So mm-hmm. that's why you have the groove as tight as it is between the kick drum and the low end of the bass guitar. Um, but I, I'm always a fan. I mean, I think every producer um, or engineer would, would probably say the same, that you want to be able to hear 
each instrument in its own element. And sometimes that can be something as simple as just re-EQing something. Yeah, God almighty. But, uh, that yeah, in, that, that in itself good. can take a long time too. Get in there with the EQ. Okay, there it is. Oh, no, do a little bit more. Tweak it a little bit more. And, oh, no, 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 take it back, take it back. I mean, that that's, that's a tough little monkey of a job. Yeah, with every one of these songs, it would get to like a folder of like Daydream Final Mix dash 10 <laughs> dash 14 dash yeah. 20. And then you, then just out of pure frustration, you'd be like, well, what what did we do at Mix 1? And then you go back, you're like, oh, I kind of like that one now. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's never any, I mean, you got to get to the point where you're going to pull the trigger or just not release it at all. Right. Um, but with but with this and with all the songs on that record, we, we were extremely comfortable with how it turned out. Where can people go to find out more about the band and to find out about everything that you guys are going to be doing? I know there's it's some top secret stuff right now, but they, they need to find out sometime in the future of where you guys are going to be so they can give you some support. Sure. And and like I said, I was told uh, by the label that we should be able to announce it this week. Come I'm on. guessing pro- probably Friday, I'm guessing. But uh, again, they're two different tours, two different bands. Um, so we definitely have to wait for them to put the details out there. But um, all the social handles are at Cortoons. So like Facebook.com, at Cortoons, Instagram, at Cortoons, YouTube, at Cortoons. And then the band website is Cortoons.com. Um, and that has links to all of our socials and, and everything on there as well. Well, I'm glad you're getting back out on the road because, dude, I was that guy that was uh, trying to get interviews with bands during the lockdown. And, and I ran into a lot of people going, I don't know what I'm going to be doing. I don't know where we're going here. And I mean, to see you guys, you push through that storm and, and you're, you're, you're making music work again. Yeah, it was a scary time, too, because like I said, when we initially released the whole record as a double record, um, we did it on Black Friday, which we've since learned was a horrible idea because you're competing um, in an advertising landscape with like McDonald's and yeah. Nike. And so your ad spend goes through the roof. Um, but our attitude at the time, not being able to see the future was, well, who gives a crap because we're just going to make it back on tour. And then COVID hit and it's like, okay, no shows. Now what do we do? We've got all this merch. <laughs> we've got all these CDs that we can't monetize right now. Um, so I did a deep dive on learning all the kinds of stuff that no musician ever wants to know how to do in terms of marketing yourselves, building email lists, live streaming, stuff mm-hmm. like that. And then specifically for me personally, separate from the band, um, as the principal songwriter and owning the masters of all these, I knew that I was going after sync licensing and TV and film in a huge way. So for those first couple of years from when COVID hit to where things started to open up a little bit, that's where I spent the majority of my energy. Um, and and made a lot of good contacts like got to meet some people that are way cooler than anything i'll ever do um actually got uh licensing represent representation deal with gary calamar who's the music supervisor for like dexter wow um true blood on hbo cobra kai um and like house back in the day like on and on and on and on he's five-time grammy award winning uh or nominated five-time grammy award uh, nominated music supervisor and music producer. So he represents on the sync licensing side, the entire core catalog. Um, so that was a huge win for me, <laughs> but uh, that's kind of how we kept it going through there. Um, Arthur, our bass player, um, as things slowly opened up, um, did a lot of gigging with a cover band, hmm. uh, which kind of put some things for us on the back burner for a while. So I'm glad that's done, but uh yeah, I mean, to be able to go back out and do it to this level is is a gift, and we're very grateful for it. Absolutely. you got to come back to this show anytime in the future. And if you come down to the Carolinas, man, we need to get together and do a face-to-face conversation. 
What part of Carolinas? I'm in Charlotte. Okay, that'll be a little ways away. We're going to be in Florida. <laughs> oh wow, wow! That's that's a great place to rock too, man. That's that's Tom Petty country down there. It's a hell of a long trip. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, we uh, didn't have to draw straws on who was driving for this one because um, my family decided they want to come out for this one. So I was like, well. We don't want to take multiple vehicles, so we're flying into Nashville. Oh wow! Um, the day before the first day of tour, and then we'll take a flight that morning to the city that the tour starts, and then we'll rent a car for the week that we're on tour, and then we'll fly back home um, the day before Thanksgiving. But the band and our sound guy and our tour manager are all driving. Oh man! <laughs> yeah. Well, we couldn't figure out another way to get all of our gear and our merch out yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we looked at like okay, maybe we just bring some of the merch. And then it's like, okay, we've got in-ear monitor systems for, for our stage mixes. I was like, well, we can't not have that. <laughs> so we started seeing what the cost to fly all this stuff out there was. We we're like, there's no way. So Arthur, our bass player, took the bullet. He's like, all right, I'll drive it. I'm like, really? He's like, I'm like, you know that the first date's like 20 hours away, right? Yep. He's like, but we're going to power through. So wow, I'm grateful to them for that. Oh, man. Well, man, you'd be brilliant today. Okay. And thank you so much for taking the time to share the journey. You too. I appreciate the opportunity. Take care. Bye-bye.